we, if you want to take a yeah. seat, we're going to have our, our Bible read to us now, but why don't I pray for Cam and, uh, uh, and before we have the, the, the Bible read to us. Let's pray together. Our Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have poured out your Spirit on all flesh and given your, work, your word to your people so that we might know you through your Son. Father, we praise you for Cam and his encouragement. Please keep him going as a Christian, as a father and a husband, Lord, we pray. Father, we ask now that you uh, would speak to us as your word is read and preached. We ask that we would hear your voice. We ask that we would be changed by it and that might bring you glory. Amen. The first reading is from Isaiah 52, verse 7 to 12. So if you have the um, Black Bibles, that's on page 673. So 673, Isaiah 52, verse 7 to 12. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaim proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices, shouting for joy together. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Leave, leave, go out from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Go out from her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. For you will not leave in a hurry, and you will not have to take flight, because the Lord is going with you, and the God of Israel is your rear guard. Uh, The second reading is Luke chapter 9, starting from verse 51, and that's on page uh, 954 of the Black Bibles. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He set messages ahead of him, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. They did not welcome him because he was determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go out and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed, appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, 
Thanks, Carmen and Mick, for uh, reading so well. Um, uh, I heard it said the other week uh, that we pack our lives like we pack the car to go on a big road trip holiday. Let me explain. So uh, how we go about it is first we get the big non-negotiables, the the big non-negotiable stuff like the financial security, the career, the happiness, and the comfort, and douche, they go in the boot. They're not going anywhere. Next, we pack the smaller items, uh, the important stuff still. So we pack the postcode in, the lifestyle, and and the other stuff. And we've got all these uh, gaps around that stuff, so we pack the nice-to-haves, like the social life, the friends, and the ripped body. Six-packs are overrated, uh, but nice-to-have. Now, what is the last thing that you pack in the car when you're going on a road trip holiday? I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to packing the car. The last thing that's always left behind and the last thing that you can always squeeze in is the sleeping bag or the doona, whatever uh, Australians call it, the, the, the sleeping bag. And you can do it because you can always fit a sleeping bag into the car. It kind of miraculously molds itself around the other stuff. And you can always shut the boots. Well, all too often, as Christians, Jesus can be treated like the sleeping bag, can't he? Jesus gets fitted around all the other stuff in our lives. Squeezed out when all the other non-negotiables take up too much space. I wonder whether that's been the case for you. I know it has for me at times. Of course, that will show itself in our commitment to our church family and how we spend our money and our time. But today we're thinking about sharing Jesus and specifically with those we work with. Now, before all the, the mums and the retired people think they're getting off the hook, I'm, I'm not just talking to the people who get paid for their work. There's plenty of mums, retired people, unemployed, and even the students. We all work. You see, sharing Jesus comes into that sleeping bag category as well, doesn't it? Especially at work. Because work is busy, and my job is important. And talking about Jesus to your colleagues, well, it's just a bit awkward, isn't it? It's just a bit awkward, and it's certainly not cool. I worked in advertising for 10 years, and I can tell you, Jesus' talk is not the way to get up the career ladder, trust me. So we restrict Jesus to the like-minded people. Uh, that, that, uh, the, we restrict it to um, uh, people uh, at church in our connect groups, or the one Christian guy that works in the corner whose Spotify playlist you noticed by accident. Yeah, you tried sharing Jesus once uh, with a work colleague after that guilt trip sermon. We've all had that experience. We've all been in that, uh, that sermon, haven't we? We've tried doing it. And it was just really awkward. They knew it, you knew it, and you didn't want to be there. You see... Our jobs are too important, aren't they? And the last thing we want to do is get branded the weirdo. Well, tonight, I don't want to send us on a guilt trip. The Bible doesn't do that. It doesn't work anyway. And I'm the least qualified person to send us all on a guilt trip. 
But I do want us, I do want to send us on a road trip. And I hope it will help each and every one of us, whether we've been following Jesus for 30 years or we're nowhere near Jesus. Uh, We're going to follow him on a road trip uh, recorded in Luke's gospel as Jesus travels from Galilee to Jerusalem for the last time. See, this road trip is all about what it means to follow Jesus. And it gives us some brilliant biblical reasons why we should repack the car and put Jesus front and center. But I've got uh, three things to help us on this road trip with Jesus tonight. Three things. Firstly, know who's driving. First thing we need to remember is that if we're a follower of Jesus, then Jesus is in the driving seat. And he's one focused dude. Have a look with me at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It is on page uh, 953 if you've turned, uh, it's actually 954 if you've shut your, your Bibles. Luke 951. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. Jesus' road trip um, goes from chapter 9 through to chapter 19. And it is structured all around these mentions of Jerusalem, specific mentions of Jerusalem. There's five. Um, But before we've gone anywhere in this road trip, Luke gives the end game away. He gives the end of the movie away. See, this phrase being taken up is talking about Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And all of that's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. He's given the end away. And it's the equivalent of standing up in that movie, Sixth Sense, and shouting out, Bruce Willis is a ghost! Right at the start. That would change the movie for a few people, wouldn't it, if they hadn't seen it? I'm sorry if anyone hasn't seen that movie. (laughs) Well, so too, knowing Jesus will die, be raised, and taken up to heaven changes the whole journey that we read about in Luke. So verse 52, he sent messengers ahead of him. And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? James and John, ever with the loving pastor's hearts, shall we nuke them, Jesus? Come on, let's send some fire down from heaven and destroy them. Well, to understand this violent outburst, we need to know that James and John are kind of like reenacting a bit of the Old Testament from the prophet Elijah's ministry. You see, when someone got in the way of the prophet Elijah, his weapon of choice was fire from heaven. But that's not Jesus' mission. Verse 55, look with me. But he turned and rebuked them. Jesus says, there'll be no fire from heaven today. And it's because Jesus' road trip is all about salvation. All about salvation, not destruction. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't do the whole fire from heaven thing. James and John knew he could. And the Samaritans were lifelong enemies of of God. But Jesus says, not today, chaps. 
this is a rescue mission. And as followers of Jesus, his mission is our mission. See, that's the focus of the whole of this section of Luke's gospel. His mission is our mission. And he's all about rescuing people. You see, if he is in the driving seats of our lives, then we are on the same mission as him. Uh, Kim and I and the kids recently went on a road trip to Melbourne. Um, Now, me driving caused a bit of tension because I wanted to go and see all those weird landmarks that you get on the road from Sydney to Melbourne, the giant merino, the little dog with his little lunchbox, and some random submarine in a park. I've no idea how that got there. My wife wanted to go to lunch. And because I was in the driving seat, we stopped for photos at all three of these places. No, we didn't. We went straight for Macca's and had lunch. But the point is that if Jesus is in the driving seat of our lives, he makes the calls. And so we join him on his rescue mission. He shouldn't be in the boots. He shouldn't even be in the passenger's seat. If we're a Christian, then he should be driving. See, his mission is our mission. His mindset must be our mindset. Surely we want to see all the people we know rescued. The Bible's quite clear. They're on a collision course. Collision course to hell, cut off from God. It doesn't get any more serious uh, when it talks about hell. But Jesus' mission is a rescue mission by his death and resurrection. And it's an incredible mission. Uh, We rightly like to support and pray for our missionaries here at church. But I wonder whether you see, whether you've ever thought of yourself as a missionary in your workplace. It's been great to, it's great to hear from Cam, uh, whether he says he's an expert or not. He is our missionary in the media, in the media industry at his company. Imagine if you changed your business card. Andy Pierce, portfolio manager of Deutsche Bank. Missionary to the third floor. Now, there's no way I would get a job as a portfolio manager at Deutsche Bank. And I don't want us to change our business cards or start uh, changing our LinkedIn profile. But if we're a Christian here today, then can I urge you to start thinking like a missionary? Start thinking like a missionary, having this Jesus mindset. I wonder if we did that, how it might change our day. That might look differently to everyone else that works in our, our workplace. It's got to mean praying for opportunities, hasn't it, to share Jesus with people? Um, Cam said that he, he meets with Jacques, and that's what they do. They pray for each other. Um, before, uh, when I worked in, a, in the advertising industry, I used to pray uh, what I like to call the John Chapman prayer. And it goes like this, Lord God, give me opportunities uh, to share the news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord God, I don't always spot them, so please make them obvious to me. 
and I'm a little bit chicken, so if you can make them conversations that I can handle, that would be really good. It's a brilliant prayer, isn't it? To a sovereign God who controls everything. As a connect group, we've been praying for uh, one friend or colleague each week over the course of the term just gone. It's been really exciting. Uh, last, uh, at our last church, I asked our previous Connect group to pray for the scariest person I knew, which was my boss. Well, sure enough, um, he sparked up a conversation with me the next day. And the conversation went on for so long that I had to tell him that I actually had some work to get on with, as much as I'd love to talk about Jesus all day long. You see, when we pray to a sovereign God, things happen. So let's be praying for opportunities. Of course, uh, thinking like a missionary uh, means thinking creatively as well. I know one guy who worked in an office where they wear headphones at their desks. It's not a very sociable place. And he put uh, a playlist in his iTunes uh, full of all of these clear gospel talks. And every day... He prayed that somebody would listen to those talks. Of course, he didn't know if anyone listened to them, but he prayed that someone would hear the gospel through his iTunes playlist. Cam was telling, us that, uh, telling me that he uses social media to, to share things and to like things so that his colleagues will see what he is interested in. A friend of mine who's retired, he visits the, um, the shopping mall close to where he lives every day. And he prays before he goes in, God, give me opportunities to share Jesus with people. And he goes in and has a cup of tea. And more often or not, that's what happens. You don't have to uh, just uh, be, uh, uh, you don't just have to be about uh, doing the predictable thing. Uh, I once had um, got an invited to a Budweiser client Christmas party. Now, the theme of the Christmas party was kings and queens because Budweiser is the king of beers. I didn't get much notice to this party, so I decided last minute to go as the king of kings, Jesus. And I dashed around the office and got a bed sheet, made a crown of thorns out of the plant in the office. And then I went to, uh, went to the party with a, a, a pile of Mark's Gospels, and I gave them out to people at the party, and I autographed them. It was a brilliant night. I spent the whole night actually talking to a bloke dressed as Don King. We had a great chat about Jesus. See, you don't have to be the office Bible basher to share Jesus. We can be as creative as our minds allow us. Of course, that might just mean asking your colleague how, they, how their weekend was, what they did, knowing that they're going to ask you back. Being a missionary at work doesn't need to be heavy, it doesn't need to be intense, and it doesn't need to be weird. If Jesus is in the driving seat, our journey through life will be very different indeed. It'll be very different indeed, but it won't be a comfortable journey. And that's our next point tonight. When Jesus is in the driving seat, expect a bumpy ride. Have a look with me at, at nine, chapter 9, verse 56, page uh, 954. And we get these three guys uh, who chat to Jesus. So 
chapter 9, verse 56. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, foxes have dens and, and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus says to him, follow me and lose your comfort. Say goodbye to your safety. That's what he's getting at. Then the next guy comes up to him and he sa- the next guy comes, uh, actually Jesus goes to the next guy and Jesus says to him, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. Commentators are undecided whether this guy's father was actually dead or whether this is just like a a delay tactic, a first century idiom, the equivalent equivalent of manana, manana, I'll do it tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. Either way, Jesus tells him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. It's a shocking reply, isn't it? It's an outrageous level of urgency. Verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one, no, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says following him requires total blinkered focus. That's what he's getting at when he tells this farming illustration. See, with Jesus driving our lives, it's one bumpy ride. I think we're meant to feel the high price of following Jesus when we we read these verses. Jesus says, follow me and it will cost you your comfort. Follow me and forget your bucket list. Follow me and focus on the kingdom, not your career. It's really awkwardly expensive, isn't it, these these verses? Awkwardly expensive. A bit like when you go to pay for parking at Balmoral Beach. (laughs) Awkwardly expensive. Uh, Last week, I heard of a church in China who get new believers to sign up to a statement. If they, want to, if they want to join uh, this church, they need to sign uh, this thing. It says, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village, villages of those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Point four. Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Point six, are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? If they sign this statement, then their name is on a list. And if their name is on a list, they're in danger of being imprisoned for six years. Incredible, isn't it? We have it pretty good here in Sydney. We won't face imprisonment for being a Christian. We won't die for being a Christian. But Jesus says it will cost us in heaps of other ways. 
was thinking about this in relation to our topic and, and, and challenging myself. And I think the area where we most feel the cost of following Jesus is in relationships. See, our tendency is to self-censor, isn't it? So when the person asks us, the person we sit next to on a Monday morning asks us what we did at the weekend, we say, oh, I went to Kirribilli and I had a fantastic time with some friends, instead of saying that we went to church. Or we're happy to talk about church, we're happy to be known as the religious person, but we don't want people to know about Jesus or what we really think about Jesus. We self-censor because we fear the cost. I think that's what's challenged me this week. We think people don't want to hear about Jesus. And we think that people will brand us the weirdo. Well, this road trip is a bumpy one. And following Jesus will cost us. See, Jesus says you can't have comfort and follow me. Trying to have comfort and trying to have Jesus at the same time is a bit like a two-handed tattooist. You know, two uh, tattoo tools in their hand. It, It would just be really messy and really dangerous. The cost is very real. And we feel it as we read these verses. Uh, I think of the Christian accountant who was fired for answering a a Jesus question over the photocopier. I think of the lawyer friend of mine who um, declined the promotion because he knew that that promotion would stop him from leading his small group. So he was uh, included in the redundancy list the next time around. I think of the mum who gets blanked at the school gates because her husband is a minister. And uh, my family, ourselves, uh, we took a 97% salary cut so that I could go and be trained at more college so that I can be better at telling people about Jesus. You see, following Jesus is a bumpy ride. It will cost us. And Jesus knows it will. Now, most sermons end there on the guilt trip, the heavy kind of thing where you go, come on, do more, sacrifice more, pull your socks up, more sacrifice, like one of those sadistic coaches from The Biggest Loser. But if the sermon stopped here, and if the road trip stopped here, then it would be a disaster. Because who would follow Jesus after just these verses? It would be madness, wouldn't it? Complete madness. Unless we have our eyes on the prize. That's the final point tonight. Have your eyes on the prize. You see, we worry about the cost of uh, the road trip. We focus on the tough things in the passage. But we miss the astonishing privilege of what it means to follow Jesus. These verses contain them. They contain the cost but they also contain the prize. Have a look with me at the three guys again. Verse 58, did you notice the detail in the response that Jesus gives the first guy? Jesus says, you're not just following anyone. You're following the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the second most important 
character in the Bible after God himself. God's king, the power broker, equivalent authority of 1,000 President Obamas and 10,000 Prime Minister Rudds. He is infinitely powerful. That's who we follow. Look at verse 60. Did you notice why Jesus tells the second guy to let the dead bury the dead? He says, spread the news of the kingdom of God. And did you notice why the third guy mustn't look back after starting to follow Jesus? Verse 62. So that, so that when he does not look back, he will be fit for the kingdom of God. See, we have an astonishing message about an extraordinary saviour who makes an incredible promise to anyone who would ride in the car with Jesus. That's the prize. And the threat to that prize is that we will start thinking that Jesus is irrelevant to our mates. We start thinking that the nice moral people, the good people, like the people I used to work with in the advertising agency, well, they don't want to know about Jesus. Surely he doesn't uh, really matter to them. And we start thinking that, well, our friends, those people that don't know Jesus, they've got the brilliant life. They've got the house, they've got the postcode, they've got the car, they've got the kids. Why do they need Jesus? They've got everything. Friends, we follow a man who was raised from the dead. And it blows smoke around anything that this world offers. The sting of death has been removed. And we follow Jesus on a road trip as members of his kingdom. And it's an incredibly privileged position to be in. We head towards a destination where death is no more and suffering is banished. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? It really is quite incredible. See, the price of following Jesus is high. We feel that. But knowing the prize will change the way we look at our lives forever. Knowing the prize will change the way we look at the people we spend time with forever. Has anyone ever heard of a guy called Stuart Sutcliffe? Nick, you probably know, but don't tell anyone. Stuart Sutcliffe? No. See, Stuart Sutcliffe was the fifth Beatle. He was the bass guitarist in the group, and then he left before they got big and became an artist. Had he known the prize that was awaiting that group, I'm sure life would have been a heck of a lot different. He would have lived differently, made different decisions. Well, let's not be fifth Beatle Christians. Let's not miss out on the amazing life and the amazing prize that is ahead of us. See, knowing the prize should make us repack the car, shouldn't it? Should make us repack the car. And when Christians repack the car and put Jesus in the driving seat, we do some weird things. We do some crazy things. Think of the boss who uh, goes into work 
an hour, an hour before everyone else, an hour before she needs to, just so that she can be a godly boss to her team and have the time to talk to them about Jesus if it comes up. I think of the banker who, uh, um, who made the incredible decision to live on an assistant minister's salary and then fund five gospel workers with what was left over. But my most favorite story, I think of all the people who have done crazy things following Jesus, is the story of Jim Elliot. Do you know him? You might know him. Let me tell you about Jim Elliot as we close. Uh, Jim Elliot was an American in the, 19, in the 1950s. He was part of an operation uh, to share the good news of Jesus with a, a, an unreached tribe in Ecuador. Well, after weeks of trying to locate this tribe, they flew around in, in a plane. They finally found them. They made contact with them. And they landed and they camped outside uh, where this tribe were for a few weeks before making the decision to trek in and share the news of Jesus with this tribe. Well, Elliot and the four others were attacked and killed by the tribe before they got anywhere near the camp. Despite having guns, they chose not to use them. One of the most famous um, legacies that Jim Elliot leaves is, uh, uh, is a note, uh, this quote in his journal. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Repacking the car with Jesus in the driving seat will cost us a lot. But with Jesus in the driving seat, we will gain infinitely more than we lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Our Father, you have called us to an extraordinary road to follow your King. We praise you for the lives you have given us, the jobs you have given us to do, the people you have blessed us to work alongside. Father, help us to put Jesus in the driving seat. Help him to be front and center in our lives. Help us to follow him, to share him, to proclaim him, and to seek to please him alone. In his name we pray. Amen.